identity surrendered. We're going to talk about identity. Stay tuned uh, a little bit later uh, in the message. I want you to think uh, about your own growth. I want you to think for a minute, uh, maybe if you've uh, been a parent or a grandparent, a great-grandparent, you think about uh, the the children, you think about uh, when is independence? Is it when they can feed themselves or uh, dress themselves or make themselves their own grilled cheese or pancakes? Or is it when they move out of your house and they don't need you anymore <laughs> and you're not paying the majority of their expenses and they're starting to make their own expenses? Is it, is it uh, this one here? Is it when they buy a house <laughs> and then they call you to figure out how to run their house <laughs> and what to do when this breaks and, and however, all that is, however all that works? Maybe that's the sign of independence. You might go through that and you might think, well, well, what is independence and what are these marks? I, I struggle through this uh, today uh, because in the context of, of where we are, first of all, we think about a series called Identity Surrendered. All right? And so we're, we're uh, underneath God and his purposes and our identity, and that's our goal. We want to be obedient and walk in obedience to who Jesus is. But as we think about uh, independence and we think about those steps of, of growth, is it really about being self-sufficient? Is it really about being able to provide for ourselves? We need to think about that and let that uh, illustration, I'll, I'll bring it back a couple of times throughout this morning, uh, but I want that to, uh, I want that to, to be the, the, what sets the tone uh, for us this morning. So, so here again are verses uh, 4 through 6. And as we start out today, uh, this is a reminder. Uh, several points so far in Ephesians in chapter Two and in chapter 3, very much uh, the goal we see is unity among those who believe. It's not a pipe dream. It's not an emotion. It's not the, the, the wildest dream of the Apostle Paul. It really is God's plan to unify believers. It seems so overwhelming in our culture when it's so easy to scream and yell and take the extreme position and dig in our heels and, and, and all that conflict that we experience. It's very difficult for us to think about unity. And so this is why I've wanted to put our face in Scripture. I'm going to even take you back today to Ephesians 2. I want you to see 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I want you to think of the person or maybe the people group of people who are, you have a hard time understanding. Maybe you even find them offensive. God's goal, the image that is used here in, in chapter 2 is that God is bringing people who are far off near. And I don't use that image um, to say, hey, it's just okay to think whatever you want about groups of people. But the Jews would have thought that the the idea of the the non-Jewish people coming into a relationship with God, they they would have thought at at times that that was offensive. How in the world is God going to do that? We're the chosen people, and how is he? And so that's the the use of the image of distance. They're far off, and they're brought near in in Jesus Christ. Look here in chapter 4 how 
how Paul um, describes this. I, I want to give you a quick review uh, from last week. We saw uh, unity uh, and walking with the Lord. Uh, we saw words like humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. They seem to be the opposite of the evening news. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then in the, the first couple of verses that I, I read for us this morning, uh, let's kind of zero in here on 4, 5, and 6. One body, one spirit, one hope in verse 4. One body. Not a bunch of separate individual churches. All true believers, even though we meet locally, are one body. Which means that the evening service in a 12-hour time zone difference, they're worshiping the same Lord and our hearts are joined with them tonight, wherever they are. <laughs> maybe it's 11 o'clock. Right? Maybe it's 6 p.m. somewhere and believers are worshiping and we're a part of it. Uh, maybe God is revealing something in a dream to someone who's sleeping and we're a part of it because we're a part of the body and we're unified. We're unified. That's one body one spirit the holy spirit lives and dwells in all true believers we covered that in chapter one the spirit's given to us as a deposit put inside of us and it unites our hearts we see that here in verse four one hope that we have verse five one uh, lord it's jesus we don't have any other authority we saw him lifted up in authority in chapter one paul goes out of his way to show the authority of christ one Lord, one faith, one baptism. People may fight about the mode of baptism, and you got to do it this way, and you got to do it this way, and we get it all. We have one Lord, we have one faith that we walk when we trust in Him. One way to be saved, one baptism that unites us and marks us as believers in obedience to Christ. One God. Verse 6, and Father of all. Do you see that God is unified? You may, see, you may think this is weird. All right? Somebody who's brand new to this is going to think, what, are there three gods or is there one God? Or what is going on here? There's a capital S, a spirit. There's a capital L, a Lord. And then this God and Father, what is going on? God is unified. He's one God in three persons. And although they represent God in different ways. They're, they're the same God. I praise him for that because in, in spirit and in Lord and in Jesus and in Father, we don't see arguments and divisiveness. We don't see envy and we don't see the things that divide people. We see God being unified. Unity is the goal because God is unified. He's unified and he wants his body to be unified. So let that sink in. Let that challenge our view, not only of local church, but how much we cheer for and root on other believers in our city. We want the haven of rest to be successful. And if they see somebody get saved and they go to another church and get discipled, we ought to be cheerleaders and say, yes, unity in the body. Look at what that church is doing with that individual where God did that mighty work. We want to have that type of an attitude and that type of a spirit, not only about our own local body where we're cheering each other on. We're going to talk a lot about that in the next couple of weeks. 
okay? But as we think about other believers near and far. Unity, not just an option. Uh, it's the goal. It's about truth. It's about one way that God wants us to connect with him and live out our lives uh, in him. I put another scripture up here that I want us to get to, John 13 and 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A mark of our maturity, a mark of our uh, identity as followers of Jesus is that we love each other. It's impossible to be effective following Jesus without loving one another. Impossible. Chapter 4 is going to say a lot about maturity. So today, we're just kind of laying down uh, the groundwork for this. Jesus isn't in, in this for a kumbaya moment. Paul's not in this for kumbaya. Uh, this is truth that guides our lives. It's truth that gives us a rock and a solid place on which we can stand and make decisions. A solid place from which we can process uh, others and find unity. And we can do that difficult task of walking our lives out. In love. It's not just an option. It's God's plan for us to be unified. It's what He expects. Okay, so how does that speak to independence? <laughs> we have these markers where, as we get more and more mature into Christian faith, do we become more and more independent of one another, more and more independent of God? No, actually, it's going the other way, and that's our identity is that we become more connected. To God who is unified, we become more unified as we mature. Okay, now, how does this happen? Uh, Paul gives a really interesting illustration. And we, we uh, took time in our worship, our musical worship this morning, uh, to exalt uh, the Lord. Let some awesome scripture and some music stirred our hearts to say, Lord, we exalt you. Now, I have verse 7 up here to start. Uh, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I'm going to actually start with the illustration that Paul gives, and I want to come back to verse 7. That'll be a part of our, our third point. So here's the illustration, uh, verses 8 through 10. I'm going to wrestle with these for a minute. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Sounds really interesting. That was my first take. I, I've, I've studied this before. I came across this this week. And this is really an interesting image that Paul gives. And I want to give you a notice that we could spend an hour in a graduate level classroom studying this text these three verses and we probably as we studied would end up with a couple of different takes on interpretation of some of the specifics that are here and so what I want to do instead of getting down into some of the specific things that that we might disagree on I want to zoom out to the level just to kind of see the main picture of what Paul is doing in how he's illustrating that we should exalt Jesus Okay, if I just told you to stare at these three verses, he ascended on high, host of captives, he gave gifts to men, and then you're going to look at verse 9, okay, he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended to the lower regions? He who descended is one who ascended. Like in these three verses, it becomes pretty clear 
that the main image Paul is using is a contrast between high and low. If you just take the words for what they are. We just sat and stared at these three verses, and I came to you after five minutes, and I said, what is the main image? What's the main contrast? And just take the words for what they are. You would say there's a contrast between high and low, ascending and descending. We see that contrast pretty clearly. And then when I teach people to study the Bible, I tell you, just go with what it gives you. <laughs> these are words that are very plain and very easy to grasp. And so you might not get all the thing about the lower regions and all that kind of stuff, but we can get the contrast between high and low. Now, let's see about uh, what this is. What Jesus ascended on high, led a host of captives, and gave gifts to men. Well, this is the victor dividing up the spoils. Jesus came to this earth and won a victory. The cross is a victory over sin. The resurrection is a victory over sin and death. And, and Jesus ascends to heaven on high, victorious which is where he rules and reigns, chapter 1. And, and for him to, to give gifts, it's, it's, hey, he's got the spoils of victory in battle. And, and he's able to, to give gifts to his followers. And men, there is a, uh, a catch-all for men and women. And so it's not just for men. This is a, for anybody who's a follower of Christ. And then it's contrasted, and it says, well, what does it mean that he descended into the lower regions of the earth? Some people think that means that he just spent time on earth. And you know what? If that's, if that's all it means, it's incredible that God from heaven, this feels like Christmas, God from heaven comes down to earth, leaves the perfection of heaven above to come down to the lower regions to this earth. Now, some thinks, uh, think it means that Jesus visited the place of the dead, uh, in between his crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, again, you're going to, in a graduate level classroom, you'll end up with some disagreement there. And sometimes the gap between Paul's culture and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and our understanding of Scripture, there's going to be some things that might give us a couple options for, for interpretation. That's okay. But the goal that we want to see is, is that Jesus is, is up high. He's ascended. And there's a contrast with his ascension and victory to him being here on earth made me think of contrasting uh, highs and lows. Uh, maybe you know somebody who's made an amazing comeback in their life or they started off in a really tough position and God just has elevated them uh, throughout the years. Well, one example that I found of this is this guy right here. Anybody know who that is? So you're really doing well if you know who that is. I have to look at my notes because I couldn't remember his name over the past few days. His name is Bernie Marcus. Anybody recognize that name? All right. Anybody recognize the name Arthur Blank? Thought I might get somebody on that. Okay. Bernie Marcus. In 1978, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank were fired uh, in some sort of a power restructuring. <laughs> they were fired from a, a hardware store called Handy Dan. Down and out, cast out of their, cast out of the job, you know, in some sort of a power struggle. So this guy, uh, Bernie Marcus, was low. He was out of a job, and out of this that uh, he had invested in. And so he and his business partner Arthur Blank, uh, they uh, did something else. And what they did is, in from their point of low, they decided we're going to found another 
hardware store, which became a home improvement store, and they ended up co-founding the Home Depot. Apparently, if you're really fascinated about what people are worth, you can get like up to the minute information. So as of 3-12-21, this guy's net worth is that. That's a lot. <laughs> That's from <laughs> low to high. Woo! It wouldn't take that much space on the screen if somebody was calculating my net worth. <laughs> I don't know if you want to look that up on Friday afternoon or not, but somehow you can do that, and, and that's what they figured out for his net worth. Low to high. And, and so, so the connection here is, is Jesus is low in coming. He lowers himself to earth, but his ascension and his victory is so attractive. And so it puts him in a place where he is able to, to gift the spoil of his victory to his people. What if at the haven of rest they were able successfully in 2021? Uh, Jeff, I'm going to pick a number. What if 200 people went from complete homelessness and no belongings or money to stability, employment, housing, and ability to meet their own basic needs? We would say, okay. Praise the Lord, right? It kind of gets us back to our initial example of at what point is somebody independent and on their own and able to make it. And we would applaud that and we would celebrate that. But what we would really hope is that there would be more to their, their bounce back, more from the low to the high than, than that, right? We would hope that the gospel is powerful in their life and is changing them on the inside as their outward circumstances change and that we wouldn't hope that uh, we would hope that they wouldn't feel self-sufficient in the sense of hey look at everything I did for myself that they would give credit to God and they'd be able to see sideways and see a number of believers that have been walking on that journey with them and there'd be a lot of encouragement and dare I say unity in the process okay wouldn't it uh, so hopefully an apartment and a bank account aren't all that we think of when we think of functioning uh, a parent right uh, their child, fully functioning as an adult, independent financially, right? Buying a house isn't the, isn't the worst thing in the world. Having stability in, the, in, in, in our life, in our day-to-day -day life, and be able to meet our expenses and provide for our needs and those that we care for, it's not the worst thing. But as we bridge to next week, I want us to think about maturity. We aren't mature as Christians just because we think we are, <laughs> Right? We're not just mature because we get to some place of, I can do this, and I know this much, and I'm able to provide this much. We're not, that's not maturity. That's not how Paul portrays it. We're maturing and unifying if we're obedient to these passages. And there's no maturity and unity, no sense of, of growth or step that we take if we're in any way trying to control our own lives control others' lives, or evaluate our worth or someone else's worth or growth through any other rubric, by any other measure, by any other filter, then the grace of God in their life as given to them by Jesus. I'll defend this a hundred times out of a hundred because it's right here in the context of the letter of Ephesians. The only way we unify, the only way we support, the only way we encourage is to 
to celebrate and to beg and to ask for the grace of God in our lives, gifts given to us by the victorious Jesus who ascended on high after being in this world. That's the only way we have forward. Only usefulness that we have is because of what God gives to us. About a, a couple of weeks ago, I figured out that my identity was taken. This is not the kind of sermon illustration I was looking for in the series about identity surrendered. <laughs> I got something in the mail from the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services that my unemployment claim was being processed. My first thought was, they fired me. <laughs> this is a poor way to tell somebody that you've been fired. Certainly I deserve better than this after 20 years. They at least talk to me to my face. Man. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> that was a little fun right there. After I got through all that, I thought, man, somebody filed an unemployment claim using my information. My identity was taken. I had to file paperwork with the attorney general. I had to call the credit bureaus, weave through that maze of customer service. It was a big inconvenience. Here's the contrast. This passage tells us about our identity. But it's not an identity that can be taken. It can't be earned. There's no achievement certificate or participation trophy. We have what we are given. That's our identity. I don't have anything that I'm not given by God. Verse 7, I told you I was coming back. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Our identity, our usefulness, our functionality, the things that make us unique, the way we contribute to ministering together as a body of Christ, it's all given to us by Jesus, who was low and is now ascended. He's victorious up high from the authority that he gives, gifts, identity. And he gives all of that from, from what was his experience? Suffering. Paying for sin, justice. Out of all of that, he gives and he loves and he equips. How do we see ourselves? How do we see our identity? What today is the source of all you have? Is it something that can be taken? Is it something that would die with you? Or is Jesus victorious, ascended into heaven, Jesus? truly the source of all we have. 